This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. It's Wednesday once again, and it's time for your favorite show, Catalog and Cocktails. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy, joined by co-host Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World, and uh, it is Wednesday, middle of the week, end of the day, time to chat about data. And today is a very, very special day because we're doing something. We have a very unique guest. Uh, our guest today is Emily Hawkins from Drizzly. And she's the person who is uh, the analytics and data platform lead, also a very important member of the DBT community. And she's been doing a lot of uh, teaching about analytics engineering courses with DBT. And, uh, and this is one of our first, this is the first episode that we're having where we're bringing in data practitioners. So uh, we're super happy that Emily is here. Welcome. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. No, this is great. And I just wanted to, to shout out to actually Nick Schrock, who's our, our previous guest from Daxter. And when we asked Nick, like, who should we invite next? He's like, well, you should invite practitioners, the folks who really roll up their sleeves and, and get the real data work done. And and when we were asking, like, internally at data.world, like, who should we invite? So many people threw out Emily's name. And we're so excited. And Emily, you said yes. So thank you so much. Uh, so with that, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for today? Should I go um, first? You go yeah, first. Emily. go for it. All right. Well, I actually just got a Drizzly order this afternoon for this specific podcast. So um, I just got a cider. It's one of my favorite ciders, uh, Magic Hour, from this, uh, I guess, cidery brewery artifact. Um, it's pretty great. It's one of my favorites. Ooh, awesome. I, I love the I love the name Magic Hour. Yeah. yeah the, the can looks really cool too. It's like really artistic. Yeah, it's very nice. How about you, Tim? What are you drinking today? Today I'm drinking something I made up. Uh I'm calling it a smoky apple fashioned, because it's kind of like uh an old fashioned, but I'm using apple brandy and scotch and demerara sugar. And it's not bad. Oh. Uh, and, well, and, I, I, and I got my liquor through Drizzly, by the way. <laughs> I love it. Well, I did not get my liquor through Drizzly because I have already a lot of liquor in my house and a lot of beer and <laughs> wine. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I walked into my bar and I saw a bottle of uh, cucumber vodka from the Netherlands. I don't know how that got to my house. So, and then I have my passion fruit, which I like. So I have like a passion fruit cucumber vodka martini actually got a fancy little uh, martini glass here. And and to cheers, I want to go cheer on having practitioners. I want to cheer the, to be able to, we need to have more of these conversations with folks like Emily. So yeah, cheers to sure. Emily here. So, I like that. So we had our, our warm-up question here, and obviously inspired by Drizzly, as what's a delivery service you wish we had today that doesn't exist yet? Yeah, I like <laughs> Couldn't think of anything that is not deliverable already. We have <laughs> problem solved. Like everything, everything is deliverable now, especially in the last like year and a half. Yeah, it's hard to think of something that's not deliverable. Um, yeah. Um, 
anyways, if if you, I'm all struggling. <laughs> <laughs> we're all right. stumped. I think we're all stumped. We gotta. All right, I'm I'm very curious. Like in the comments uh, later on, whatever. Just just I'm curious to see what people have to say about this one. Um, I think you know you can't deliver like um, I don't know like a a play or or a stand up comedy or I don't know some some artistic <laughs> show. I mean, technically, well, I guess technically you can go know, hire like Netflix and, uh, and well, I mean, somebody actually the... come to my house to my front yard or something my backyard. Oh, but I mean, technically, you can go hire. I don't know. Can, can you get a like a band delivered? Like if you're having a party and you want to have music in your backyard, is that a thing? There we go. Yeah, I guess you could <laughs> like just hire like hire a band. Yeah, yeah. But there is no app. There's the delivery app. Yeah, right? there's no app. There's okay, no there's band no. for you or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure somebody, I, well, Drizzly, Uber now, they're probably getting to that after, after. I'm sure somebody's thinking about this stuff. But <laughs> All right, well, let's get into our, our honest, no BS discussion here. And I'm just going to kick this off. Emily, honest, no BS, what the heck is analytics engineering? <laughs> That's a great question. Um. It's a lot of things, I think. Like, so I started as a BI analyst and kind of like morphed into this analytics engineer role over the past two and a half years at Drizzly. And I feel like what made it different for me is like really following those like software engineering standards, like learning Git, learning the command line, like learning data modeling, learning DBT. Um, all of those things kind of came together. And I think that's really what makes like this role so interesting and like powerful and empowering to the people who are in it and moving into it from like all different backgrounds. Like, you know, you don't need, it's great because you don't need a specific background to become an analytics engineer. Like anyone, anyone who wants to do it, like can do it. All right, so 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 I want to dive into more about uh, kind of just dissect a little bit you've been saying. So it is you're working with data, but you're also kind of bringing in those software engineering best practices into data. So is that would that be kind of a a good summary of analytics engineering is working with data, but treating data as if it were software? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good definition. So, so how was that transformation for you? Like you said, you started out as a, as a BI analyst. Like, I mean, did it, was it something you read? Was this people you were talking to or, or was it, I mean, one day you woke up or you've been, I mean, how was that evolution for you to get into this? And, and when was that actually? How, how long ago was it? Yeah. Yeah. So I started at Drizzly a little over two and a half years ago. So um, in 2019, previously I like had always kind of been in data um in analytics in some capacity really since my first like internship in college but um it was more on the like business analyst side um and then I started at Drizzly as a BI analyst um I was the second BI analyst on the team so we were small um so we had to do a lot um and really just like we knew that we wanted to fix how like analytics worked um we weren't happy with our current tools um and our director ian um, matt comber came in and um he really helped us like carve out 
that time and like roadmap and buy-in from the rest of the company to help us like spend that time actually improving our stack and bringing on DBT, bringing on Snowflake, bringing on Fivetran, um, bringing on Looker, like all of these tools you hear so much about. Um, and having that experience, like learning them as we were like implementing them and figuring out, okay, what's the best way to use these tools together? Like what are the best practices we should be following? Um, of course, we learned a lot from the DBT community um, and all of the great content they put out. But yeah, I guess just like doing it, like that's really how I got to that point, I guess. Would you call yourself uh, an analytics engineer today or the some of the work that you do in analytics engineer today? And like, I guess, you know, what, what do you think of the role that you're playing right now? Yeah, I think the first maybe year and a half um, at Drizzly, I was more in that like analytics engineering role because I was working with directly with business stakeholders, like modeling the data, getting it in our BI tools. Um, but now I kind of more focus on our data platform as a whole. Um, I do still some work with data directly, but um, not as my like full-time role now. So I kind of like just manage, um, yeah, I guess like our data platform, our data ecosystem, um, work with our BI analysts, our data scientists on like how to best work with our tools um, and how to make their like work experience with our stack better for them. That makes sense. So it's it's kind of part of a, a, a bigger portfolio of things that are going on right now, like analytics engineering, yes, but data platform work, data enablement, um, kind of thinking about how things are evolving, sort of leading the team around these different things. Um, that, that, that's super interesting. And, you know, you know, also at data.world, we're kind of going through some similar experiences where we've been implementing um, DBT. Uh, we, we have Snowflake um, and, uh, you know, figuring out how to, to bring in some of these, uh, you know, best practices and, um, you know, analytics engineering being part of what our analysts and our data engineers doing. So nobody officially has the analytics engineering title yet. Um, but I've noticed that some folks are starting to do that. Um, and, you know, actually kind of just like on LinkedIn, it's saying like, yeah, I'm an analytics engineer, right? So um, it's kind of cool to see that. It's obviously become a huge movement and it's only been a matter of just a couple of years where this has really come come to be, you know, especially with the DBT community. Mm -hmm. yeah, I I'm I'm curious about how, what was your life before? What what was the life before? Like you're, you're you talked about you're getting into like the modern data stack, right? The whole DBT and Snowflake and using Looker. But what was life? What was it before? What were those pains that you guys were going mm -hmm. through that you said, okay, we need a switch? And it's not just only a technology switch, but then it's like this cultural and job and this role switch too. So what what was life before to understand yeah. those pains? Yeah. So we were using this BI tool called Domo um, and it kind of tried to do everything. So it was like, it, it was basically like a five tran, like a, like a data storage, like data visualization. Like it kind of tried to do all of that stuff. Um, so you could, you know, connect, bring in data from 
Salesforce, bring in data from Zendesk, bring in data from your MySQL database, um, bring in data from Redshift. Um, and yeah, it just, too much was going on in one tool. Um, there was no version control in the tool itself. Um, there wasn't a very good interface for writing SQL. Um, it was kind of just like this tiny little text box like that you could write SQL in. Um, again, not version controlled. So like you could go make a change and, you know, maybe something broke and mm -hmm. you wouldn't really know what it was from. Um, and then it had this kind of like drag and drop interface for like joining data sources and things like that. Um, and since it kind of also held all the data itself, it was also very slow when we got to those bigger like data volumes um trying to process all of that so it had definitely had limits on how much data it could handle um and then the visualization piece you know there was a hundred i'm exaggerating a hundred charts that said like gmv and like who knew which was the right one um you know it was hard for people to find the data they're looking for like make good decisions on the data that was in there because nobody really trusted it um so there was a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of issues um so we kind of we wanted to make our our data stack you know more modular have that version control in place for our data um and make some of this more self-service as well so that we're not our whole job isn't just like answering tickets for people asking you know what was our gmv last month um that's a very simple example but you know making it easier for people to access stuff making it more trustworthy so we can like focus on harder things yeah it so you talked a little bit about the BI side and some of the challenges there, or the you know the the analytics side. Um, what about on like the data management side? Like, what were some of you know were there problems that you all were experiencing with your warehouse? Were you already using Snowflake, or were you using kind of like something else, and and then decided to switch to Snowflake? Yeah, we were on Redshift um, before, but I wouldn't say like a lot was going on there um because of domo the way it was set up like we weren't really putting a lot of data in redshift mm -hmm. um it was mostly like things were directly pulling from those connectors from like salesforce zendesk whatever um directly pulling from mysql which also wasn't great because there were times where like it would bring down the mysql server because like a query got stuck um so caused problems for everybody and we really decided like, okay, Redshift, we've heard about issues with like scale. We didn't want to like put ourselves in that position. Um, we also use a lot of semi-structured data like JSON and Redshift, if you know, is like very um, unfriendly to that. <laughs> and Snowflake is very great for that. Um, so very quickly we, we were like, all right, we need Snowflake. And we didn't really do too much on Redshift before we got like mm -hmm. too far into that side of things. That makes sense. Um, and uh, go ahead, Juan. Yeah. No, I was just saying that that I mean, even though you're talking about a specific tool, like the, the 
the problems that you're talking about, I, I'm just, hopefully people are like listening, the people who are listening and to our data practitioners, they're like, hopefully they're not in their heads like, yeah, I'm going through those problems today, right? They're, I'm using a tool that's trying to go do too much or, or it, it, there's no version control about this. I, I version control the data, version control the queries. I don't have a good way of actually writing the queries. Uh, things may be slow. They're coming from different places. Uh, I think what you just said was really important about like this dealing with semi-structured data. I think we're, everything is now very JSON moving all over the place. I want to be mm -hmm. able to very easily capture that. Uh, we got to have, we're generating all these charts or these, these dashboards, like what does this actually mean? So at the end of the day, like these are the real world problems that we're seeing. And I mean, you're living through this stuff. Um, actually, so I'm, I'm curious. So your your is it your your manager the leadership like what was the the breaking point the tipping point right now right the to say okay this is it we gotta go change like how was that process because what I'm what I want is people everybody who's listening right now is like if you're going through these pains that Emily just described like something's gonna break like something is gonna change and what is that tipping point that people need to be prepared for or they can accelerate to get to that to to, to go change yeah. I think um, we were pretty lucky in that like our leadership team has a lot of trust in the data team and like knows how important data is to the business. Um, so, you know, when our VP like went to the CEO and was like, we need Snowflake, um, he kind of trusted him and was like, yeah, okay, like, you know, your job better than me, like, if you say you need it and we we need it, like, let's do it. So we we had a lot of support um, from leadership to kind of revamp our infrastructure because we knew, like, we were able to, to show, like, how this would enable the rest of Drizzly to move faster um, and to use data in a better way, in an easier way, more reliable. Um, if we were able to like really make these like strong, like foundational changes to our data infrastructure. Okay. That's it. That's important to know is, is again, it's always just not, just not leadership buy-in, but also, I mean, there's a trust, right? Not, not, and, and, and also knowing that the CEO says, well, I not, not only do I trust the, the VP of data or data team is that they know, they, they know what they're doing and I can just, and it's important for us making this team, uh, successful is important to the company. So I think that's also uh, very important that we need to have leadership executives drive that. Mm -hmm. how, how does this look now? So what is your, what is the modern, how did the modern data stack start out with and how is it today and how is it evolving? Mm -hmm. So what we started with was DBT. That was like our first step was like, let's move all of this bespoke SQL logic in Domo into dbt so it's version controlled we know where data is moving we know how it's connected um so we did that we got five tran so we could take all of those connections from domo into five tran you know get salesforce in there zendesk mysql um kind of all all of the things that um we use at Drizzly. So we have, we kind of use a lot of those like third-party apps. So we have a lot of connectors um, that we need data from. 
um, of course, Snowflake, um, and what else am I missing? Um, I think it was about a year ago, maybe, that we started using Dagster um, for data orchestration. Um, and I think it was also about a year ago, maybe a little more than a year ago, that we started um, transitioning all of our data visualization into Looker. So this this really aligns with Tim with the stuff that we've been talking. Uh, I think the episode with Nick and some other folks on the modern data stack of uh, like the core, right? The core is ETL, right? ENL, so something like Fivetran. The T is DBT. You have your warehouse, and then you have some analytics, right? So that that truly kind of correlates with what everybody has been talking about. I'm calling this now the modern data stack core. And what's interesting is that Nick was arguing. I mean, obviously he's biased, but I agree with him too. It's like, well, you might as well bring in the, bring in the orchestration from the beginning or, or sooner than later because you're going to need it, right? So so that's probably the next thing. So so it's, you're kind of either, uh, you in a way, you're like, you're following the game plan, but you're probably actually writing the game plan at the same time for everybody else. So this is why it's, it's really, really interesting to go see that. Um, so how long has this process been? Like when you when you guys decided, all right, let's start with DBT and and and, and so how, how how has that evolution been going over time? Yeah, it's really it's honestly been like not too long since I started at Drizzly. So probably within like my first six months at Drizzly, we like started this process, um, and it's. I don't think we're ever going to be like done, done. Like there's always new things to do and check out and um, improve upon. Um, but yeah, I guess I'd say two years, two and a half years. Okay. okay. That, that's honestly pretty fast for, for like a pretty major transformation. So that's, that's, you know, for those that are listening and thinking about moving to the modern data stack, obviously it's good to, it's good to think about how you can do that in a concerted way and, and, and do that relatively quickly. Um, you know, one thing that's, that's interesting, uh, Emily, is to think about some of the new tools and technologies and use cases that are starting to emerge around the modern data stack. Um, just kind of curious from from your perspective, whether it's at Drizzly or if it's, you know, just in general kind of being, you know, an active member of the community, are there certain um, certain things that you're thinking are next from, you know, whether the kinds of things that you're thinking of adopting at Drizzly or just in general, you're really starting to dig into and understand more and get excited about? Yeah, I think our most, so our most recent sort of, addition to our stack was census for like reverse ETL. Um, I mean, that's been around, I don't actually don't even know how long that's been around a year now, maybe, maybe. It's yeah, hard I feel to like say. reverse ETL, nobody was talking about it like two years ago and it's all just kind of happened. Yeah, it's hard. Like, like, like a year ago, like I don't yeah. think it was. Yeah, the, yeah, there's no timeline in my head, but we, we started yeah. using that um to move data into salesforce um specifically for like our sales ops teams um and i think it's improved things for them because 
they don't have to go into Looker to like find some information about like a retailer, for example, that they're, you know, trying to onboard to Drizzly. Like we can input that data in Salesforce for them from a DBT model. And they can have that like right there in the tool that they're like working in. Um, so I think it's helped them a lot just having all of the data and information they need, um, you know, in one place, like in the place that they're doing their job. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously the, the reverse ETL is getting a lot of, a lot of buzz lately. And, uh, and Tejas Manowar from, uh, from high touch came onto our show and, and told us a little bit about reverse ETL and the use cases there. So that seems like that's growing a lot in popularity. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what else are you looking at? Um, the other kind of newest area, which I actually just talked about this at Coalesce was our sort of like streaming stack. Um, which we're also using DBT for um, and materialize as our database. Um, so that's also in its infancy, um, but we're really excited about like the possibilities with those two tools working together. That's interesting. And I know I'm, I'm still pretty new to this sort of streaming warehouse paradigm that I know materialize is involved in. Like I've, I'm, I'm, I've, you know, and, and some of our listeners may be in the same boat as me. Like I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Kafka. I'm pretty familiar with things like Kinesis and, you know, even some things like Apache beam and that kind of thing. But some of this stuff like materialize and, and some of the, the folks that are doing similar things to that, I'm a little less familiar with. Um, do, do you think you could explain just a little bit on like, like what that is like how, how like what is how does that compare to like other streaming paradigms and like what gets you excited about it i probably can't go too technical but yeah no worries um, the the interesting thing about it is like so we have it currently connected um like to kafka so we have data coming through kafka topics okay. currently it's like we have a very limited use case right now but you know, a couple types of events that we care about in our um, event stream. Um, we're able to, you know, hook those up and materialize um, so that it's like constantly, you know, bringing in new data as it comes in to the Kafka topic. Um, and then the DBT models that we set up, they're like materialized views. So, you know, they're just constantly updating when new data comes in. So you don't have to you know, be DBT running every five seconds, like you just run it once and it's constantly, you know, checking for that new data that's coming in. Um, so like, for example, if you tried to implement something like this on Snowflake, like you'd have to run DBT every minute or something like that. And like probably couldn't even keep up with the data that's coming in and Snowflake's not really meant for that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it just makes it like very easy to set something like this up without needing to go into the more like software engineering realm of things. Now, I, I think this is going to be an interesting paradigm. I think so, this also came up uh, last week with, with Sarah Kenzaro or like, what's, What's next? So we're in, I think, streaming data. I mean, we've been we've been so focused on kind of just batch stuff up to now, and I think streaming data is the next thing. And actually, 
I think it's confirmed now, but I think March 2nd, we're going to have uh, the CEO of Materialize as a guest here. So we'll have, we'll be able to go dive in a lot more into this. I think it's another fascinating part. So I want to dive more into kind of your structure, your, your team within Drizzly. Like, where do you like, tell us more about your team. How many people are in there? How is it related? How is it connected to to the, the the business side, to the engineering side, and just kind of just walk us through that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think we're about twenty something now. We're adding so many new people; um, it's hard to keep up. But yeah, so our analytics team's like twenty ish. So that includes BI and data science. Um, and then for reference, Drizzly overall, I think we're around like. 300 something. Um, of course, that doesn't include Uber. <laughs> I don't even know how many people work at Uber. Um, so within BI, we each kind of like focus on a business vertical. So there's like a product, BI, ops, marketing. Um, I guess marketing is a special case because they kind of have their own set of like analysts data engineers and data scientists because it's kind of such a specialized field. Um, and then similar setup on the data science side, we have like a production data science team um, with like a machine learning engineer. We have data scientists who focus on marketing, who focus on um, ops, you know, focus on different parts of the business. And then my role is um, data platform. So as I was saying like earlier, um, just kind of how it all fits together, how we can all work together on on the same stack. But when you were talking earlier that um, like you have to work with business stakeholders, right? And modeling the data. So out of those kind of little, uh, those pillars that you talked about, like who's the, who is that part that's actually doing that work and, and, and who is that role? Is that, is that the analytics engineer like you? Is there how big is who other analytics engineering and how do you all work together around that? Because I think this is the collaboration part that I'm very interested to kind of dig into. Yeah. So it, it would be like the, the analysts within each like BI vertical. So like within product BI, there's product BI analysts. They work with the product stakeholders, work with our event stream data, work on modeling the data in DBT. Um, same thing with ops and marketing and, um, same thing, um, on data science, like even they will get into DBT and, you know, put input data from their models to like put into Looker or something. Um, so we're all working, we're all kind of like part analytics engineer. <laughs> So then how do you, so how do you, uh, coordinate kind of the work? Like you're saying, what if somebody is doing some deep modeling with the mark, the BI team and the marketing are doing some modeling around that. And then in the, in the product, they may be doing something similar. Are they, are they cross communicating here or, or is everybody kind of doing their own thing? And then later on you guys uh, kind of coordinate. How, how is that? Because that's, so, that's something that I'm, I'm concerned. A concern I have is, is kind of, when you're centralized, but you're decentralized and trying to find that balance. So I'm curious to see how this is working out for you guys. Yeah. I mean, so we all sit on the same team. Like we all have 
um, regular sort of like check-ins um, every two weeks where we talk about what we're working on. Like we go through, we work through like JIRA. So we have sprints, people like have visibility into what, what we're doing. Um, and I think like as a team, we're just like very, we communicate really well. Like we share ideas, we'll post in our Slack channel, like if we're having issues or like, hey, anyone have like a better idea of how I could do X, Y, Z. Um, you know, we're all in the same code base. We all can like code review each other's PRs, things like that. So we all like, I feel have very good visibility into what we're all working on. Yeah, so the, the, it does truly sound like a like a software team. I mean, Tim, what do you think about how this uh, the the kind of the parallels with with software and, and product? It kind of it really does. And you know, when we think about like software teams and having like you know front end engineers and back end engineers and designers and product managers working together, it sounds like you all are putting together a pretty dynamic organization to tackle a lot of these different data and analytics opportunities. And, you know, as, as we talk about all of this, one of the things I wonder, Emily, is, you know, these, uh, you know, analytics engineering, either roles or, you know, hats that, that folks are wearing, you know, you know, are most of these folks, you know, previously analysts that are kind of now stepping into this role, they're learning about software development best practices, or are they more like sort of data engineers that are starting to, you know, understand more about the business and starting to move up stack? Um, you know, are you noticing sort of a trend of, of sort of the the folks that are stepping into that role or starting to, to wear that hat? Hmm. Definitely varies. Um, but I would say for the most part, yeah, mostly people coming from like that analyst background. And then when they join our team, like we're really leveling people up in those skills around like get command line, like DBT. Um, so we're aware that there's definitely like a shortage of people with the skills like of the modern data stack. So we're trying really hard to make sure that we have like the environment where people can like learn those skills um, on the job as they're interested. Like, for example, we actually just had um, someone at Drizzly who started on the CX team and just was very interested in data and what we were doing um, and just started kind of working with us on stuff and now has just joined our team as a BI analyst. Um, which is amazing. I love that we're able to do that and bring people in from different parts of the business and just teach them those skills. That Yeah, that, I think that's something that we need to start, that we're starting to see, and I think we need to encourage that more. It's like if you come from one area of the business that you know so much, let it be from the product side, from the marketing side, the, the customer, right? And you have all that really important kind of domain or subject matter expertise and and you want to get into data, like you're bringing in so much important uh, knowledge around that. And then, and, and it can help just uh, close a gap between so many things that we have. So I think that that's something that um, I think we need to start highly encouraging that. And, and it's glad, I'm glad we're seeing this. Yeah. It's an exciting movement. What, what is, I'm also curious to see how you guys deal with the dynamics of, of 
the social dynamics, right? Is is it? I mean, I, I always say that you, you, when you're talking, to, we're talking to people trying to go understand what they're talking about, and you're modeling all this. Like, what are the techniques or, or or what are the skills that you have to be able to go sit down in a room or in a virtual room to be able to say, okay, what do you mean by this? Because I'm trying to get you the data, but I don't understand it, and and I probably I probably don't have the business expertise, but I don't understand you, and and I still need to deliver something to you, but I I don't even know if I'm delivering to you the right thing, like what's your experience behind that? It, uh, and just really interested in getting your insights. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a hard problem. <clears throat> um, I think just we've had the paradigm of just like, you know, iterating quickly with stakeholders. So, you know, they tell us, hey, we want something that shows us X so we can really quickly prototype it in DBT, surface it in Looker and be like, hey, is this what you needed? Or not even Looker even, like it could be an Excel sheet or something. Is this what you're looking for? Oh no, I actually meant this. All right, really quickly go change one little thing in DBT, rerun it in export again. Like I feel like we have with the tools we have, like it's really easy to like quickly iterate with stakeholders and get like really fast feedback um, and make sure that once we're ready, like once we're kind of on the same page, like we're ready to to ship that like into production for them. Yeah, and less of the emphasis is actually on that iteration happening in the BI tool. And, and it's actually able to happen in the data warehouse layer, which is pretty new, right? Because usually in the past, it's like, hey, I wish this table looked differently. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, well, that's going in the data engineering backlog and see yeah. in a few months, right? Um, whereas, whereas now it's like, oh, yeah, you want me to change that calculation? You know, let's let's tweak it and let's DBT run and here we go. And there it is, right? right? Or, or even do it on a staging database first if you have, you know, like sort of a staging warehouse set up, right? Like, does that look right? Okay, great. Now let me push it to production, right? Right, exactly. That's like such the great thing about Looker too with, snowflake and dbt is they have that like development mode where you mm -hmm. can like just point to your development database like that's what we have in snowflake is every analyst has their own like development database that they can work on which is just like a clone of production um so it, it makes it really quickly for them to to iterate on things see how it is in looker see how it is in snowflake um yeah i think we have a pretty good setup, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> how are you, how are you all thinking about scaling, right? You said you're 300 people drizzly right now, right? There's 20, so 20 folks in the data team. Uh, you're going to keep growing, right? A lot of be that you're going to get merged into Uber or whatever, but just a company like you, they're, we're going to keep growing. Like, what are your plans? I mean, uh, is this structure that you already have, you think that is, that can continue or, or something's going to go change? When do you start having some centralized governance or stuff? Uh, I, I bring this up because you guys are at the, at, at 20 here in this team and 300 as a company. And going back to a conversation we had with, uh, with Mitish Karia, who's the CTO of the Zebra, he, he's given us the rules of, of 10, 30 or, or one in threes, right? So uh, things start to change at 10 at, at 30 at, 
300, 300 and so forth. So you're kind of in that 30 range for your data team, but also 300 range for the company. How, how do you think is this is going to change when your company starts growing and starts scaling? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, those decisions are definitely made above me. <laughs> so I'm not totally sure like how Drizzly itself is going to change. I think for our team, um, we're in a pretty good spot. I mean, we Drizzly grew a crazy amount through 2020, um, which we are lucky enough that that was the case for us. Um, and I think the infrastructure we have set up, like actually made us much more resilient to that growth. Like we, as like the analytics team, didn't really feel the like, you know, whatever, 400% growth that Drizzly was having because we, we set up, like we set up for that, like our tools were were resilient to that um and i feel like that will be the case for a while yeah i know we had yeah. we had a we had a question about kind of where we're going yeah. with bi and stuff tim yeah you're talking about this question here from youtube well there's a question on youtube but no, but we're, we're back channeling too but where is oh uh, yeah you're talking about our own comments yeah 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 you know it's interesting the journey that y'all have taken at Drizzly and you personally have around going to this, uh, not just modern data stack, but really trying to empower more self-service around the data. And so with the data platform team, as well as, you know, all the analytics engineering that you're doing, it's all sort of in service of this, you know, data products and self-service um, data. And, you know, we had a conversation recently with uh, Cindy Housen of ThoughtSpot talking about, um, you know, how do we actually get to a world where everyone in the company is an analyst um, mm -hmm. and allowing everyone to be a data DJ is kind of the phrase that she used, right? Which is maybe a little more friendly and a little more fun than sort of, you know, your typical analyst parlance. Um, how has... Uh, how has that journey gone for you all in terms of being able to empower self-service BI? And ha has that happened? Like, does everybody have access to Looker? Does everybody kind of have access to data? Or do you have to kind of be more protected about it? Just kind of curious. Yeah, that was really our goal with Looker. Um, just because of, like, the Look ML layer and that we can make sure people are you know, for example, calculating average order value the same way, no matter what they're looking at. Um, so that was a kind of our goal with Looker, like make it really like foolproof to to use our data, like make it really, really hard to come to the wrong conclusion about things. Um, so yeah, pretty much everybody at Drizzly has access to Looker. Um, I would say it varies between department or team, like how self-sufficient people are in Looker. Um, so some teams have really taken to it and, you know, they have like a point, you know, Looker champion on their team that does all of their dashboarding and is kind of the go-to person on their team for Looker questions. And like, they'll even answer questions in our analytics help Slack channel 
So we have like people like that. Um, and then there's other teams where we have to be more proactive about um, helping them make sure they're using Looker, like using it in the first place and also um, making the most out of it. Um, so it's been, it de- yeah, it really depends on, on the team. Um, so we've had to take some different approaches depending like who we're working with. Yeah. So depending on the team, you've had to t- do some some different enablement and 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 maybe focused on a few groups first that you knew were going to take to it more and understand mm-hmm. it more, and and then they could be kind of your your case studies of like, hey, this is how it can work well. Like, let's kind yeah. of replicate this throughout other parts of the organization. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of before we get into the into the lightning round, I got a last kind of question here, which is. What are your, your, your kind of your, I know we're going to get into the advice, but later on, but I want to very specifically tips and tricks for folks who are just starting on this journey. Like, uh, what are the, what are the things that you, if if you go back as like, I wish I knew this, I didn't, I wouldn't have done this and so forth. Like, what are the, what are those things that come to mind? Cause I'm sure people who are listening would appreciate that. Yeah. For me personally, I wish I spent more time learning about data modeling. (laughs) So that's something we've definitely had to kind of backtrack on a little bit with our DBT project, Um, just because of the way our data was initially set up in Domo, it was just like the very wide tables. Um, And we've had to really like backtrack on that and make the conscious decision to like move into that more dimensional modeling paradigm um and it's actually been great like i'm really glad we made that decision um but yeah it would have been nice if we started out that way (laughs) well for those of you who cannot see me right now uh, i have this gigantic smile on my face because i think this is this is the theme i have for this year is what i'm calling knowledge first and Part of knowledge first is is what you just said. Like, know, know your data modeling. Think about the context and all the relationships of how everything's connected. Uh, it's not just about data. Just give me the data, right? No, no. You really need to think about the data modeling because if you, it, it's hard, uh, and and it depends on the people. You need to go talk about how people think about stuff. And this is the shift that we need to get into, or, or at least that's my position. And just hearing you say this is kind of validation of like, I, I, yeah, we need to start thinking about knowledge and thinking about knowledge is thinking about data modeling. So um, how did, just quickly, how did you, uh, what what stuff were you reading about? Uh, what do you recommend to go for folks who are like, yeah, I need to go and I need to need to brush up on my skills or learn more about data modeling. What would you point them to? Yeah, so <clears throat> we actually had um, a previous BI analyst on our team who was actually very like knowledgeable about this stuff. Um, so he played a big part in really helping us like make this shift. Um, we also recently hired a new data engineer who's also been like very helpful with this. But I think the things people always recommend are like Kimball. Um, there's a lot of good discussions in the DBT data modeling channel and in, in their Slack. Um, I would say like, don't get too caught up in one paradigm, like be flexible, like maybe take pieces that make sense for you. 
but don't try to be like too strict on one specific philosophy because that you know it's not always gonna whatever Kimball said whatever it was like (laughs) 20 plus years ago like isn't always gonna make sense today right and and despite how hard you try you're not gonna get it right in the first go and you you are gonna have to create a new a new table and move some stuff around but you know um start start with the right stuff and then iterate from there right yeah all right well this takes us to our next section uh let's move on to our lightning round which is presented by data.world the world's only truly cloud native data catalog and with that i got the first question so i'm moving to the modern data stack should i implement a modern transform tool like dbt before a modern bi tool Yes. All right. Starting with the foundation, start upstream, right? Um, Second question for you. Um, Do you think that the streaming paradigm that we kind of talked a little bit about today in time will replace a lot of the batch warehouse workloads and maybe become more the center of the modern data stack? I'm going to say no. That's you want to add, add some more context to that? <laughs> I think not everything needs to be real time. Like there's a time and place for it, but I don't think it needs to be the default. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I'm with you on that. It's not all real time. It's not all batch. Yeah. Um, I like that. All right. I got the next one. So if you are new on your journey to learn analytics engineering, should you just start with learning DBT? Um, I think that's a great place to start. Quick plug <laughs> for my course on DBT. Please go go plug it in. Plug it in, please. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> no, uh, I think DBT is a great place to start because it kind of like folds in all of those other concepts that you need to learn as well, like the data modeling piece the version control piece, the um, command line piece, like it's a great place to to learn all of those things um, in a really like tangential way, like, and they all fit really nicely together and you can see how they actually work like in practice. Yeah, and I, I appreciate how engaged the dbt community is as well so obviously you know for folks that are listening you know go join the slack community for dbt a really really positive community i think all three of us are are active members on that community um and you know just quick plug the uh, the dbt docs are quite good as well like even if you don't yeah. know anything about git and stuff like that like it kind of walks you through like everything you need to know from zero to, to 60 so mm-hmm. um, that's a great starting point as well yeah. By the way, please, please share the course that you that you're teaching. Where, where do yeah. you find more information? What does it start? I mean, yeah, go ahead. This is this is yeah. for data practitioners. <laughs> yeah. So we just had our like first round. Um, we finished at the beginning of December, or maybe it was the end of November. I can't even remember anymore. Time. Um, but our second round is starting in March, March 7th, um, and it's through this new education platform called CoRise. Um, I've loved working with them. Like DBT 
was one of their very first courses they've ever put out. So it's like very new, but it's a great platform. We've had really great feedback. Um, But yeah, I'm really excited that I'm going to be able to teach a new round of people DVT. That's awesome. All right. We got one more question, Tim. All right, let's do it. Final lightning round question. Is it easier to train an analyst to be an analytics engineer or to hire an analytics engineer? Train all the way. (laughs) Nice. Love it. So folks out there that are thinking about picking up DBT, not only could you be taking Emily's course here, um, you know, learn DBT. Uh, That's that's a great path to this because we need more analytics engineers in the world. Let me add one more then to kind of the other the, on the other side. Is it easy to train a data engineer to become an analytics engineer? I think so. In actually in the in my course, like we had people from engineering backgrounds, from analyst backgrounds. Um, so from engineering, like you know, you kind of have those some of those more technical skills already. Um, so you really just kind of need it really depends on what you need to focus on, like either the tech skills or the more like data strategy, like business side. Got it. Well, it's, uh, we could talk for hours. I got a bunch of more questions here. I love to, I'm looking forward to actually, I think hopefully all fingers crossed, we'll be coming to Austin in two weeks or something, uh, for the data council conference. So we'll have more of this, uh, but Hey, it's uh TTT Tim takes it away with takeaways first. Yeah, sure. So really appreciate this conversation with Emily. I think there's been a lot of great takeaways and nuggets that we can take from from this really seeing how data work is happening and how the modern data stack is evolving from the perspective of of somebody who's really working with data and with data teams. So really appreciate your perspective. Um, I think some of the the biggest takeaways that that I really got out was, you know, that you know your your own personal experiences, kind of like starting um, as an analyst, getting into analytics engineering, uh, really starting to lead around sort of a data platform, uh, and the things that you had to learn, and and for folks that are listening, the ability for them to see like the kinds of things that they can pick up and focus on to build those skills, to put on that analytics engineering hat, and be able to be you know participate and help grow the modern data stack. You know things like learning Git, um, understanding more about data modeling. Um, uh, leveraging modern transformation tools like DBT. Um, and, you know, another thing that I thought was a useful and very interesting takeaway was um, around sort of the things, the challenges that you faced with some of your previous tools and how that prompted you to make adjustments, right? So whether it was, you know, your BI tool not providing uh, version control or, you know, trying to provide too much and it was sort of confusing to users and like, how do you control like what people should have access to and what they should be allowed to do versus not do um, you know, or or having sort of confusion around, uh, you know, what they can leverage and whatnot, right? Um, also, things like the movement uh, and the growth of semi-structured data, net impacting what database technology you choose or which streaming stack that you choose. So, you know, as folks are listening, they can think about maybe some things that they're seeing in their own environments that may prompt them to want to move some of their technologies to to more modern solutions. Uh, what what about you, uh, Juan? What what are your big takeaways? Well, 
one thing that I really love that you said was you got to learn by doing it, right? So, and learn a lot from the community, from DBT, right? Just start implementing. But a lot of that is is having leadership and having the you know, kind of your management being able to support you on that. And I think that's super crucial. Uh, your cover, conversation today is, is more confirmation uh, about what, what we're calling the, the modern data stack core, right? You got DBT, you have an ENL, which is probably Fivetran, right? You got a, you got a cloud data warehouse, Snowflake, and some a modern BI tool like Looker. And then what's interesting is, is then you, at some point, sooner than later, you'll probably get a data orchestration like Daxter in there. And, and fun interesting is that you got this all down in two years. So this is a good kind of a, a benchmark for people to know what they're, what they're getting into. Um, and then what's coming next, uh, and this is also kind of like confirming kind of conversations that we had previously with, with other folks like Nick, is, yeah, you need to go push your data back to other sources, then reverse ETLs may want to go do. Um, then you're in this case, you guys need to have more real time. So you're probably looking into the streaming stack and materialize. So I think there's different things of where you're going after with that. And then their team structures are what I find really interesting, right? You have a team structure for BI, which is separate for data science. And then this is around the marketing product and ops. Uh, you also have a team around the data platform. Uh, the analytics engineers are all, all kind of all over the place there. But even though they're, they're distributed, you have the way how your team works. So you have regular check-ins, but everything's on Jira. So everything's very visible. People do code review. You, you can do code review from somebody else's team. And, and, and I think that's all encouraged. And you're very iterative and agile. So when you're working with people, you're working with the business stakeholders, like we can quickly show you the data, even if it's in the spreadsheet, we can go see it. If it is, great. If it, if it isn't, we can quickly iterate around that. And then finally, if I, something uh, we need to start thinking about is data modeling knowledge first right and don't be strict about it be flexible and the data the dbt community slack has a has is, is great is good great resource that's what we did that was our takeaways it's a lot yeah well, you had a lot of great knowledge all right we'll throw it back to you quickly here what's your advice number one and second who should we invite next oh my advice um i would say i don't know don't don't be scared to like try something new. Like a year ago, I never thought I would know how to build a Dagster pipeline. And now I do just because I did it. Like I tried it and I failed a couple times. And now I kind of know what I'm doing. <laughs> now I kind of know what I'm doing. So yeah, don't, don't be afraid to just like suck at something. And who should we invite next? Um, oh, that's a hard question. Um, actually, so in my, in my course, we had some fireside chats, um, and we talked to Jason Gans, who is a manager for, I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher this, like, developer experience at DBT Labs. Um, and he has a great story, great background, um, really enjoyed our fireside chat with him. So, he could be a great guest for you guys. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah. We'll have to reach well, out Emily, to Jason. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, Emily, thank you so much. Uh, this was a great conversation. And next week, we're going to have Ben Stansel from Moat. And we're going to be talking about what the heck is this metrics layer stuff. So cheers. And uh, hopefully see you in a couple of weeks in Austin. Uh, for those who are listening, who may be here in Austin, we're going to have some Hopefully uh, some catalog and cocktails uh, meet up, which will be announcing pretty soon. And uh, thank you, Emily. And also thank you, Data.World, for supporting us to go do catalog and cocktails. Cheers. Cheers.
This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base. Don't forget to subscribe.